What has changed massively, one, the perception of our industry. It used to be this fringe, crazy guys that were just trying to save energy. Why would a utility want to have their customers use less of their product? We're really a technology company at this point. This is EnergyCast, and I'm Jay Downhower. Today we are talking about energy efficiency and the changing mission some of the industry's earliest innovators have seen since the beginning. Our guest today has that perspective. They celebrated their 25th anniversary. I bet most of you didn't even know the industry was that old. To be honest, for the longest time I thought energy efficiency was simply finding ways to use less energy, period. But the real mission of these companies is to develop programs that help us use energy smarter. The most critical mission is to find ways to hopefully level out the demand curve. We've talked about this in the past. There's a daily trend of energy usage, typically called the duck curve, whereby energy demand swings throughout the day as we go to work, come home and get dinner started and go to bed for the night. In hot summers and cold winters, these peaks in demand can put utilities to the test. And it's up to efficiency groups like our guests to help crop some of those high peaks. As the years have gone by, these firms have also found found ways to shift that peak demand so that utilities can run more evenly for longer periods of the time. As they discuss, the biggest tool is demand response, a two-way system whereby efficiency firms and by extension utilities can communicate with customers when the going gets tough. Most dramatically, equipment simply goes offline, but demand response has gotten so sophisticated, most times customers will never know. Air conditioners may not go back on for a few minutes, a dishwasher may stop for a little while, a smart thermostat may raise the temperature a degree or two. Combine artificial intelligence in the mix, and your home may know more about your energy habits than you do. As we discuss, energy efficiency firms walk a fine line between being too visible and not enough. They want to show they're making a difference, but they don't want to inundate customers with information they don't care about. It's like the fire suppression system in your building. You don't care how it works, you just want it to work. And we also discuss energy storage. You'd think if energy storage can regulate the grid by holding power until it's needed, maybe efficiency programs aren't as necessary. My guess says this is just another tool in the efficiency toolbox. As more renewables and intermittent forms of energy make their way into the mix, it's going to take a powerful mix of storage and efficiency to help regulate an ever more complex grid. Our guest today is Paul Schuler, founder and CEO of Franklin Energy, one of the largest and longest-running energy efficiency firms in the country. Franklin was founded in Wisconsin, and its headquarters are still located in Port Washington, just outside of Milwaukee. The company has over 1,200 employees, and Paul says about three-quarters of them are out in the field every day, running efficiency programs on behalf of utilities. As I said earlier, Franklin just celebrated its 25th anniversary earlier this year. I hope you enjoy my conversation. Paul Schuler. We're here with Paul Schuler, founder and CEO of Franklin Energy. And Paul, you founded Franklin Energy in 1994, just celebrated your 25th anniversary. 
We've seen a lot of changes on emphasis in energy in those years, more renewables, greenhouse gases, a shift away from coal. What was your focus then and how has that changed today? Interesting question, Jay. The focus from a client perspective hasn't changed at all. We started off as a business that learned from some previous businesses that I started up where we tried to do too many things for too many different people. We tried to do utility facing programs. We were doing energy management systems and lighting systems. And we stepped back when Franklin Energy started and say, okay, we learned our lesson here. We're going to focus on our utility client needs. So that part hasn't changed. Energy efficiency programs, demand response programs, things for utility clients. What has changed massively, one, the perception of our industry. It used to be this fringe crazy guys that were just trying to save energy. Why would a utility want to have their customers use less of their product? To a bit more mainstream is people's awareness built of potential climate impacts and then also built when it came to job creation of renewables and energy efficiency and how much it could do for the economy. That was a big change. And the other one is use of data and technology is a massive change agent. You talked about renewables. We talk about that a lot on the program. We also talk a lot about storage. And in a way, it's a sub-industry in the energy sector. And when did you start to notice storage on the landscape? Storage has probably been the most recent because of the cost effectiveness. And Jay, you might be better able to answer that than I can because of that being a focus of some of your work. But we're certainly now seeing it first really impact the tools that utilities have and their customers have to manage their electric load. When it comes to energy efficiency, are there any technologies in that sector that you like in particular that you think work well with efficiency? Well, I think the whole storage when you combine electric vehicles and storage is really a technology that isn't energy efficiency per se. Vehicle to grid. Correct. When we look at our utility clients over the 25 years, we've tried to look at what their needs are. And right now we see utilities needing more tools to kind of offset the variability that solar and wind coming onto their systems have caused. Good environmental impacts, job creation, but for from the standpoint of operating your grid day-to-day makes it difficult for somebody to operate their system. So if you can take a technology like electric vehicles and or storage or combination and create opportunities where you're controlling when they're putting electricity back onto the grid through the storage device or where they're using electricity to charge the vehicle or charge the storage device, you have the ability to gain some control back. Mm-hmm. And we're finding that incredibly powerful for our utility clients as they're looking to the future and managing their grid and managing their operations. Now, when it comes to energy efficiency, a lot of what you guys do is you try to regulate the grid, right? Try to avoid those peaks and everything. And storage does that too. So is this a competitive situation or can it be more collaborative? Because I guess people could see it both ways where maybe if you have a storage solution, you don't need to worry so much about energy efficiency. So how do you see that relationship? I think they're complementary particularly for those of us in the energy efficiency business if we look at things a little bit differently than we have in the past. So in the past, most energy efficiency programs were just that. We want to have customers saving energy. They didn't always pay as much attention or maybe arguably enough attention to when and where that savings was occurring. So now 
to compete really, and it is a little bit competitive, as you've said, Jay, with the storage and the electric vehicles, that's a good thing because utilities need energy efficiency, not just what's safe, but when and where. So then you can act more like a resource that has more benefit to the utility. They have transmission and distribution problems in various areas where energy efficiency in a certain geographic region helps a lot more than maybe in another region just because limitations on the transmission and distribution. I think it's healthy for energy efficiency programs because it's making us look at them differently. But there's plenty of room for both. The number resources that have been added, solar and wind, and the impact on systems is amazing. I read recently that towards the end of the day in California, as the sun goes down, the load, which is the equivalent of the entire state of Wisconsin, drops off of the California grid system when the sun goes down. I don't know much about grid operations, and it's a big state, but that seems like a heck of a lot to deal with, (laughs) and you just need more tools to do it. Paul, I've interviewed a few energy efficiency companies in the past. No one as big as you guys, but the answers are a little different every time. So simply put, for the folks out there who it's like energy efficiency, making people use less energy, how do you guys make money? (laughs) And also in 25 years, I'm sure you guys have identified different revenue streams. That's a very good point. I think the best way to look at it is to look at the electric side versus natural gas. Utilities are better off at times when a customer uses less of their product if they are in a situation where the cost to serve that customer in those peak periods is very high. If utilities can get customers to use less and drive that peak down, then they don't have to go out on the grid if they're resource constrained and buy very expensive electricity or they don't have to fire up their last, least reliable, worst, dirtiest, least cost-effective generator. Then as far as the revenue source, we focused on running those programs, both energy efficiency and demand response. Yeah, and so the name of the game is not necessarily using less energy than it is about creating a consistent supply curve where everything's running as long as possible, and then efficiency and storage are essentially balancing it out. You hit it right on the nose. And then all rate pairs for that utility benefit if you can as you've described it, fill in the valleys where you're not selling much electricity and cut off the peaks where you're selling a lot. The flatter you can get that curve, the more controlled your costs are, the more benefit there is to all of the utilities rate payers. You mentioned demand response. Explain why demand response is important to utilities and customers as well. Sure. It's an opportunity now to bring energy efficiency and demand response together. We've talked about shaving off peaks of the utilities load. Demand response is specifically designed to do that. You might have a program where you've got a switch on 50,000 air conditioners. You're getting to that peak period and if you can even shut those air conditioners off for 15 minutes and reduce that peak, you can manage your system better. Now you have technologies come along like web-enabled thermostats. Because of that web connection, you can send a signal temporarily, turn the temperature just a degree or two, has minimal impact on comfort, but allows the utility another tool to manage their grid. It's really an eloquent joining of energy efficiency and demand response. You talked about technology 
at the beginning of this interview. That web-enabled device concept is a game changer for utilities. These thermostats, generally they're called the Internet of Things. Is there anything else new that's really got your attention? I think the idea of automating some of those things because of the amount of data that's available is really bringing all of these things together. So you've got smart meters out there. Utilities are collecting more data in a year now than they collected in their first 100 or 120 years of existence. So what do you do with all that data? Can you use it with algorithms and artificial intelligence and machine learning to actually kind of learn what's going on at that house? And can you use that web-enabled thermostat along with maybe a smart speaker to send messages back and forth between the consumer and the utility? Consumer can say, hey, I just got a signal that the price of electricity is really high right now. Google, turn off my dishwasher. Similarly, the utility could send a signal to the customer saying, hey, we're in a bad spot. Would you mind shutting off your air conditioner? It's not the physical speech that's happening. It's signals and it's automation. So there's just a whole bunch of really cool and interesting things going on there that could automate the home to benefit both the homeowner and the utility. And so, Paul, it seems like energy efficiency is getting less about the hardware, things like windows and lighting and efficient air conditioners and more about information, kind of we're going from hardware to software and that's where we're really getting the gains. Is that what you see as the trend? I think particularly with lighting, Jay, that's a fair statement. If you look at LED technologies alone, we finally have a technology that replaces incandescent without the adverse effects that people had associated with compact fluorescence. You know, even if there's a massive improvement in LEDs and it goes from 9 watts to 4 watts, that's not a very big improvement versus the 60 to the 9. Yeah, that initial right? drop, right. Yeah. I think there's still plenty of room with building envelope and air conditioning and heating systems and different things to still have a pretty big impact. But yeah, I think it's fair to say in general, we're in a spot where we're transitioning from kind of the hardware to the software side. Energy efficiency has a lot of different business sectors, and Franklin really gets into most of them. In your website, you break it down into utilities, regional and statewide. Is there any sector that has the most to gain from 2019 forward? This this is a strange one to bring up, I guess, but we're seeing a huge increase in needs associated with legal indoor agriculture, marijuana growing, cannabis growing uh, suppliers and entities. You're not the first energy efficiency guest who's brought that specific (laughs) sector up, but yes. Well, then uh, I don't feel bad about it. No. (laughs) Uh, Tell us about that. Yeah. Well, the utilities are actually noticing the load is so substantial. They're like, what just went into this warehouse here because it's Uh. using a ridiculous amount of energy and it's inefficient grow lighting technology. There's opportunities there. Certainly the telecommunications field, there's a lot of opportunities that generates a lot of heat. And then how do you get rid of it? You have to cool. And that uses energy. Especially where I am in North Carolina, have a lot of server farms. We're actually getting into facilities that are crunching data for Bitcoin and blockchain. They're energy intensive, but unlike these grow houses where maybe you can control demand response on the air conditioners, they have to be on 100% of the time. Tell us a little bit about some of the things you've worked on to find solutions in those locations. Good point. It's the ultimate situation where they need virtually 100% uptime. If a server farm is judged on anything, it's an availability. You have to really look at energy efficiency 
efficient technologies from the standpoint of cooling. You can also look at heat exchange. Depending on the climate, use outside air to do some pre-cooling as opposed to an air conditioning. And I think one of the bigger things that can create an opportunity to really have the utility in that customer develop a more cost-effective relationship for both is to look at backup power supply and bringing storage into this as a real opportunity for these large server farms to have a relationship with their utility where they can both benefit. If you've got the storage and they're up, maybe the battery discharge of the utility and sell energy back to the utility. Yeah, kind of like the vehicle to grid. It's not being used for your purpose. You can lease it out, right? Exactly, Jay. You hit right on the nose. It starts with energy efficiency because that's usually the most cost-effective. Energy efficiency often has as low as a half a year payback. And renewables generally to invest, it takes a little bit longer payback. We kind of go through that sequence with uh, our utilities, clients, end-use customers to kind of guide them through that process. Paul, late last year, I did an episode Shell Energy reached out and we covered their new energy efficiency offering. I had never heard of something like this before. It was a subscription model for energy efficiency. Essentially, you pay a flat fee and then they go in and handle even the hardware. It was almost like you're leasing the lights. And then if there's more efficient lights, in addition to all the services, they would swap it out. So subscription service for energy efficiency at that level. Any thoughts on the subscription model versus things like capital improvement? Are you looking into services? It's certainly an interesting pricing model. Franklin Energy has the luxury of and maybe the disadvantage of looking at our market relatively narrowly where we're that utility service provider. We're running programs for utility clients. We're running energy efficiency demand response. We're working with them on starting up electric vehicle programs where we're doing some pilots now where we'll help their customers through a rebate and through working on behalf of the utility to install charging stations in their homes or offices. So our view of the world doesn't extend to the place that you're going here, but I think it's a really relevant space because there are people like Shell going there. Some of the large energy service companies like Johnson Controls and Honeywell, I think, have done this at times. And the subscription service is pretty fascinating. Instead of buying kilowatt hours to cool your building, you just buy your building's going to be cool. Mm -hmm. And then they're responsible for everything else. It's fascinating to think about. Personally, I have not seen utility yet try to develop that type of pricing with their customers, but we would be all into helping utilities do that if they wanted to. But again, more on that utility side, trying to look at it from their perspective. And if they thought they could sell cooling or heating instead of kilowatt hours or therms of natural gas, we'd certainly be open to it. What we have to do is not be on that bleeding edge. My view would be, let the Johnson Controls and Honeywells and Shells of the world try to figure it out, and we'd be anxious to work with their utility clients. I don't think they're going to be anxious till that model proves out a little bit more. Sure thing. And it was brand new at the end of last year, 2018. Over the years, that's come up, but I think that's kind of my point. Let's see if this becomes a reality as we move forward. It's certainly an interesting and cool idea to try. It would seem to me that the best energy efficiency is the kind the public or customers don't have to think about too much. Have you noticed a pain point where customers or the public are like, this is too much information. We just want to save a few dollars. I'm especially talking about the customer level. Utilities can handle a lot of that stuff, but especially 
especially when you're working with clients. And it's just like, look, let it all happen in the background and show me your key performance indicators later. Absolutely. Or for industrial customers, it's process driven. It's not even data. It's not even too much information. It's don't mess with my process. Don't mess with how I make money. Or if you do, you better be pretty darn sure you're not going to adversely impact my production. As far as the data goes and the information flow, you're still absolutely right. The analogous situation for a homeowner is I just want to be comfortable. I don't care how much data you give me. I just want my house at a comfortable temperature. When you look at it that way, there is the ability to do a lot of things automated behind the scenes so that customers don't even know unless they pay enough attention to know that their dishwasher temporarily shut off or their air conditioner got set up half a degree or it's so sophisticated now, Jay, that some of these vendors are talking about being able to pre-cool by a half a degree or a degree, knowing that a peak is coming and they're going to have to shut that air conditioner off. So I think the answer to data and information overload comes back to the automation. And you are absolutely spot on. There are plenty of customers that are going, if you can do it and I don't notice it, great. But <laughs> stop giving me all the <laughs> That's all right. The that's right. <laughs> nice to know, but no need to know. Right. Now, looking yeah. over your website, there's a lot of language about creating consistent programs and reducing confusion. And my background's actually in communication and journalism, so I can sympathize with messaging and all that. I assume you've seen instances where the public had a difficult time navigating through different programs that were available out there. I personally remember when I was living in Austin, there were a lot of different efficiency programs that the city was putting out there. And it kind of jumbles up. It's like, how do these things work in combination? Help us understand why that's so important. Most customers are used to these days getting their information from a website. People are getting a comfort level with that and utilities, I would argue, have been a little bit behind the curve. Things like from a customer service rating standpoint, utilities fall behind other retailers and other entities by quite a bit when it comes to the overall rating. So you look at that and it's a huge opportunity to take that jumble of programs that might be provided by three or four or five different providers like you experienced in Austin and make it a seamless customer experience on the website so that all of the programs and all the available services are in one place with one common look and feel. And then you can take a customer through a journey there. What do you really need? Are you interested in just lighting? Okay, if you're interested in lighting, just click on lighting. If you're interested in air conditioner, just click on that and then have the website take you to the appropriate programs for you as a customer. And then if we can get customers back to that website, we can take them through the next thing and the next thing and make things available in an order that makes sense for that customer. We talk daily with our utility clients about creating a seamless customer journey and experience on their website. And I believe you also have people on the ground helping out, right? Absolutely. We have about 1,200 employees and out of that 1,200, three quarters are out in the field every day dealing with customers one-on-one -on, -one on behalf of our utility clients. Those people are generally driving a truck that's wrapped with utility logos. They have shirts with utility logo. We even process rebate checks and incentive checks for utility clients with the utility logo on the check. It's all about the image that our utility clients are creating with their customer 
and we take that very, very seriously because we have the honor and the expectation of being the face of the utility in those settings. I try not to get too political here, but we do talk to a lot of people on the policy front. What's going on with the administration with regard to energy efficiency? Because it seems to me that the administration was an everything, everywhere, all the time mode. My view is that the federal government is not a fan of energy efficiency and demand response and other programs. And my view is it really doesn't matter that much. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of other people in business and on a state-by-state basis are making really good, solid, long-term decisions about where we should head on energy programs and climate change and a variety of other subjects. Administrations come and go, and (laughs) I think to some extent, states and utilities and businesses need to keep going in the right direction, and I think they are. Sure. And look, the administration, big fan of coal, but it doesn't mean there's been a boom of coal plants built. The power plant can last over five administrations. Some things are just a little bit bigger than that. But look, the economy's done really well over the last couple of years. That has to be important for you guys as you're trying to find ways to curb all of this growth through efforts and efficiency. That's got to be helping you. Absolutely. A growing economy helps everybody. It's been growing really well over the last couple of years. But I think you're right. You hit on it. Utilities have to make decisions that have decades worth of impact. So again, that kind of ties into my theory that administrations come and go and states and utilities and businesses head in the direction as best they can that makes sense for them in the country. Absolutely. So, Paul, one of my last questions, where you guys are located? You're out of Wisconsin. You're a Wisconsin guy, born and raised, huh? Correct. And then you've brought this company here, and it's one of the larger energy efficiency companies out there. What does it mean for you to have come from Wisconsin? Your company is based here. Now, you've got offices all over the country, but why is it important for you to have your headquarters here as opposed to California, Texas, or one of these more traditional energy clusters? Why is that important for you? That's a really good question. Nobody's asked me anything close to that before, Jay. Thanks for asking. Wisconsin, 25 years ago, when Franklin Energy started, was probably, I would argue, one of the three or four most progressive states in the country when it came to energy efficiency programs. Probably California, Wisconsin, Massachusetts, Vermont, maybe Oregon. So we had the opportunity to try some things in Wisconsin that served as the base as other programs in other areas is developed around the country, it was a nice place to start because we tried things here in Wisconsin and then moved them throughout the country and took those ideas and and ran with them to other places. From a long-term perspective, I think that our utility client focus and customer engagement is well suited to a Midwest mentality. It suits us well to have this as a base, both from that history with the state of Wisconsin and the image and what we're trying to convey in the market from the standpoint of the customer service aspects of our business. Again, it certainly says a lot to keep it where you started it. In all honesty, I kind of like the novelty of we're not Silicon Valley, we're not New York, we're not other hub places for technology, and we're really a technology company at this point to create a better customer experience for our utility clients and use customers and drive automation as much as we can to solve problems. You bet. And again, congratulations on 25 years, and we certainly wish you 25 more and beyond that. We'd like to finish with a lightning round of your thoughts on different energy technologies. First one is natural gas. 
very important fuel. We need to use it for the right things because it's such a valuable U.S.-based commodity. Crude oil. I believe on its way out for transportation, I think the environmental impacts and the cost over time will win out for electric vehicles. Nuclear. I wish and hope that people can figure out a safe way and a good way to bring nuclear back. I am bullish on it, and there's a lot of hurdles. I just hope people get it figured out. Coal. I think a fuel that has a very limited future in the U.S., and that future may be more aligned with some other countries and other areas. I think it's going to continue to be a less used fuel. Wind. Wind needs to be coupled with other things, otherwise it puts too much burden on the utility and the system. So the more wind you have, the more you need to do some energy efficiency and demand response and other things to complement it. Solar. Same answer as wind. <laughs> Most of the time it is. Biofuels. I think they've been used in the wrong places at the wrong time historically, and we need to turn that around. I think Corn ethanol was not the environmental gain that we had hoped it would be. That's probably as controversial as I get. I don't <laughs> think corn ethanol has played out very positive for the overall economy and the environment. But I think there's a lot of really, really cool things happening with biofuels that could turn that around when you start using waste streams and enzymes creating biofuels. That's a lot different than corn ethanol. Hydroelectric. The more the merrier. I like that too. Geothermal. Same thing as hydro. <laughs> I like that too as well. We've talked about this a lot. Energy storage. It's going to be one of the biggest things in the future as the price continues to come down. There's going to be all kinds of ways that we're going to figure out to use storage effectively. Electric vehicles. Very bullish on electric vehicles, better environmental impacts, a tool for utilities to use and for their customers to use to manage their costs. You guys, energy efficiency? Well, I'm biased. <laughs> of course you are. And then finally, fusion power. I wish there was something that could contain it. It would put a lot of us out of business, but gratefully so. Okay. Paul Schuler, Franklin Energy, thank you so much for your time. Jay, I can't thank you enough for the opportunity. I appreciate your time, too. Thank you, sir. That was Paul Schuler, founder and CEO of Franklin Energy. I want to thank Liz Crumpacker from Antenna Group for setting this up. You can find plenty of pictures about Franklin on energy-cast.com, as well as on Instagram at Host Energy. All guests are sent the raw and completed audio the week of release. So far, no complaints. Be sure to leave us a positive review on iTunes. That gets the word out. Music was produced by Sean Stroop at Stroop Loops. That wraps up episode 59. Be sure to join us next week when we hit the road to visit the world's largest battery. You won't want to miss it. Until then, I'm Jay Dauenhauer. We'll see you next time. <laughs>